Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. I was going to sing something that this person wrote, but I'm embarrassed that nothing is coming to me. Nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's been too long since I've had to memorize like mm. string quartets. Do you know how much music this man wrote? To have any of that wrote? on recall. So much music, music. And I couldn't sing any of it at you right now. Naomi, anything? Well, there's the creation couldn't couldn't I do just, it. I I know one of the recitatives, which is like not very great, but da 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 da. Wow, it's genius. Also, like I could sing you some of the symphonies because there's the yeah. um, you know, there's a surprise symphony. Bum 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 bum. Right, do remember that one? I do now. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. Right. It's the chord. Or there's the musical joke string quartet. Right. That one is Haydn? For some reason, I was thinking it was somebody else. Oh, man. I can't believe this is... I'm going to mention this on the podcast. But that I do... I will always remember that that piece because it was on one of my listening exams. And I do remember that it's also, it's the Haydn string quartet in E flat. Oh, look at that. (laughs) And I only remember that because I had to make like a, like a little like memory device in my mind so I could remember it. And to me, as the joke quartet, it always sounded like laughing. Mm -hmm. And so I always thought of it as he, 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 E flat. He, 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 flat. And that's so awesome. That's, that's how I remember that one. And you remember it for the rest of your life. It's extremely highbrow here on Opera After Dark. It's true. So as Kyle mentioned, we are going to talk about Haydn today. Right. Which we didn't really. Franz Josef Haydn. Papa Haydn. Haydn. Papa Haydn, as, as some would known. say. I'm curious. So you guys mm. said he, he composed like a ton, like a huge amount of music what can you give us a sense mm. of scale of like i um, guess pure quantity but also compared to other composers maybe like how much music are we talking about i mean well he wrote like over a hundred symphonies Dang. So. <laughs> he was you know that's to start he with. lived a pretty long life especially for that time period so and he was pretty active for most of it got super famous yeah, I mean, he worked, so he worked at, um, we'll get into this, but he worked at the court of, of the Esterhazys, 
And he, he basically like straddles the time period between when composers were like hired to be like the directors of music or the, you know, like the maestro di cappella um, for royal courts. And so they were basically in charge of creating and running all of the musical activities that happened in a court. And so he straddles that time period. And then toward the end of his life, he like leaves that post and he branches out as a freelance Mm. composer, like making money from publishing. And he like clearly really liked to make money. And so he just like turned out stuff that would sell Mm -hmm. well. Right. So he was extremely prolific because of basically like the trajectory of his career Uh and the type of music that he needed to write for the royal court where he worked. Nice. Didn't he cut so, a deal with, it was one of the sons, was it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Nicholas, I could probably be wrong. Didn't he cut some sort of contract deal with them that they were negotiating where he was like, you have to give me back the rights to all of my music? Because up until that point, he didn't own the rights to them um, or something like that. Yeah, and then he became, a little bit later Yeah, in his later life. on in his life when he was older. Yeah. And, um, started making even more money because then he had the publishing yeah, rights to music. Yeah. Yeah. And then he realized that basically like publishing companies in London and Paris were like basically pirating and ripping off his music for a long time. But in Germany and Vienna, there wasn't in Austria, there wasn't really like a mega publishing house yet at that point. And during his lifetime, Artaria Publishers gets established, which is becomes like a huge and very important publisher in Vienna. And he was like in on the ground floor, basically one of the first composers to like sign licensing deals with them. But he realized that there was no like international treaties or anything like that so he would sell the same piece to multiple publishers in different countries um, and get like licensing fees or royalties from all these different publishers for the same work so he was savvy he was business savvy yeah living that freelance life yep i always think about it like it must be fascinating as a creator like that i wonder if you ever thought about like you know he's going to buy something and he's like oh well that's just like what i make for two symphonies you know like (laughs) just crank just crank out a quartet and a symphony and it's paid for right maybe i don't know but should we talk a little bit about his life from the beginning yeah all right beginning so dates 1732 to 1809 all right so really overlapping with Mozart's lifetime, like Mozart is born, lives, and dies within Haydn's lifetime. Yes, and they did yeah. know each other. Right. They did know each other. And uh, they are both part of what we call the the first Viennese school or the Viennese classicism, right? And uh, when he was young, um, he he really was surrounded by music from an early age, but not in a kind of formal academic type of way his parents were simple people um i think his father made wagon wheels or was a wheel maker cool and his mother um before she married his father she worked as a cook in one of the like local houses um or humble origins noble homes but both of them were quite musical and like apparently Haydn's father was like a quite the amateur musician and would ha- like sing songs and compose songs and like have little um, sort of like p- 
entertainment in their home where like all the kids were involved and that type of thing. And sometimes he would like, you know, get the neighbors involved. And so it was, he was a very musical kind of person, even though he wasn't really like formally trained and I think taught himself by ear uh, to play certain instruments. That's great. So I would love yeah, to have so that he, life where like, you know, as a family, you're just like, Oh, sit down at the piano, play us a song. Gather around the fire and let's right. sing a tune. What shall we sing this evening? But Yeah, that was like that was right. their entertainment. And they were, it was pretty and great because they noticed that Haydn, Joseph Haydn, um, did have this sort of incredible music ability and they realized that the town that they were living in was not going to provide him with mm-hmm. a musical education. So they um accepted a proposal from a relative relative of theirs who was a schoolmaster and choir master in Hanburg. And please forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. I apologize. Um, and he went to go an apprentice with him and sing nice. in the choir. He was like six. Wow. Yeah. Seven? And he was yeah. apparently had like an amazing voice. Yeah. As... Um, oh, that's great. actually so amazing that almost too amazing oh, no. because we know <laughs> we know what happened to boys at this time, choir boys who had really good voices, mm-hmm. right? They were prime candidates to become castrati. Um, oh my gosh. but Haydn did not did not fall into that path. Right. So um, he goes and he uh, yeah. lives with his relative and works, and he's pretty mistreated. He says later oh. on that he spent like most of his time hungry. He probably like lived in a room under the staircase like harry potter you know oh my gosh he's fine (laughs) were his parents like extorted or something they're like yeah send us with your kids send some money we'll take care of him no this is a relative of theirs and they had musical connections and so this was like the obvious choice if you know baby hiding so it wasn't it wasn't like neglect like they were just poor it was neglect. No, his parents like genuinely. <laughs> oh, oh, well, okay. his, his re- with his, his relative, parents, that was that was that was neglect. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, his parents like genuinely thought this was a good idea right. to give him career prospects, yeah, yeah. right? But they weren't there with the relative, so they didn't see how the relative treated him. Oh, um, that's terrible. Yeah, I could and, I couldn't do that to any child, let alone like a relative. Like that's horrible. <laughs> he turned out fine. I know. Oh, he did. But yes, but he, he, did. he was that very he was very mistreated by wow. his relative, the Dursleys. Naomi doesn't get that reference. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so uh, not Papa Hayden yet. Little uh, little Hayden is living under the he's, staircase. He's mistreated his, by right. his relatives. But he has a beautiful, he has a beautiful voice, voice, and so that was quite a lot of musical talent. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was brought to the attention of a man named um, Von Reuter, who was, like, running through the town. <laughs> this is going to come out weird. Looking for boys. <laughs> because <laughs> he was the director of music at um, St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna. Nice. So Haydn it's like one of those things that, like, it's terrible that we have to, like, that, like, you have to say that with, like, a certain thing running through your mind. Where you're like, it's right. sad that someone can't just be looking for boys to sing in a choir. Without there being some sort mm-hmm. of, there was no or... ulterior motive. Right. Um, Haydn auditioned for him. This guy was like, "Yes." So he went to Vienna and he sang in the choir there for like, dang, was it like nine years? 
Yeah, yeah, he yeah. sang there basically until his voice broke. Which is a uh, lot later than it should have. <laughs> dang. Right. I was say nine years. Because he would have been like 16, <laughs> maybe 17. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's kind of like a conflicting record because in some records, if you do the math, it makes it sound like he was 19 when he left that choir. Oh but in gosh. other records, they say he was 16 when he left. And so... Um, and apparently, like, and apparently, it was not great when his voice broke because um, there was somebody. I think it was the Empress at the time, like, came to hear something at St. Stephen's, and it was like in a performance where it became very obvious that poor Haydn's voice was breaking, and she said that he sounded like a crow. Oh no! Yeah, that's like every teenage singing boy's nightmare. It's true. I know. Oh, I know. that's terrible. I... But. <laughs> From that point, he basically was like, he had, he was on his own. Like he had to figure out mm-hmm. what well, to do next, I, right? Because he couldn't sing in the choir right, anymore. But I read he got kicked out because he pulled a prank where he like cut off the little rat tail of some other chorister. <laughs> and then he got he got kicked out but a friend of his was living in vienna so he was able to stay like with him and that's oh, when he like started freelancing which did not go great in the beginning. No, I did not know that story, but I do know that he started freelancing and he also basically was forced to take on students to make ends meet mm. and he hated it. Right? I think so, we should move forward with the story of he snipped off somebody's rat tail because that <laughs> is hilarious. So I'm going to assume that definitely happened. Definitely happened. Right. And yeah. then he got kicked out, kind of a bad boy with, with a still changing voice at the possibly age of 19. Bless. <laughs> right. It's a fun it's a fun picture that we're that we're painting here. Oh yeah. So then he's like freelancing slash teaching. It's not going well. He's pretty poor. Um and he he ends up though getting or catching the attention of a count who ends up giving him like some kind of permanent job he's like his his valet or something like that yeah and then it was like not even a music job like just like right just like an ends meet job but this is the guy that he actually ended up learning composition and really theory Mm -hmm. from because he didn't learn any of that while he was a singer i mean obviously he learned stuff because vienna was incredibly musical place and he was working mm-hmm. as a professional musician but he had no real formal training and this is the person that he gotcha. really learned like the mechanics right. of music from so it ended up being super oh, advantageous worked out well yeah it's mm-hmm. milky. and then because of the training that he got he actually had like some musical compositions to show for his talent and that's how he ends up getting the job with the Esterhazies, which was a big deal to get a job with the Esterhazies. Right. Um, how old was a he? Hungarian noble family. How do we have any idea how old he was when he snagged that job? Mm, I want to say like mid to late twenties. All right. Still, a, that's a pretty good job for a relatively young guy. Yeah. Sorry, I'm throw, throwing yeah. throwing curveballs. No, you're not. Um, but once he had the security of this position, which, you know, is an incredible thing because you're to have secure employment as a musician, yeah. um, he decided to get married. Oh, to Ooh, one yes. of his students? I, was it one of his students? No. 
What? I have a good story about Go this, though, oh, that I good. learned. Yes. Um, so apparently, while he was in his kind of like poverty-stricken freelancing teaching days in Vienna, before he had any kind of good job, um, there was a girl that he fell in love with from a local merchant in town. Um, and he really wanted to marry her. But the end, apparently this merchant, I can't remember what type of establishment he had. Maybe it was a baker. I can't really remember. But anyway, um, and so the father of the of this girl that he fell in love with was actually just like really good to hide in and like tried to help him out because he was like a poor young, young guy trying to make ends meet, right? But um, the daughter that he fell in love with ends up joining a nunnery. Ooh. So he can't marry her and so um he ends up marrying her sister Ooh. and it's unclear like why they got married yeah because um, they like hated each other they yeah hated oh each really other. what yeah it was a super unhappy marriage oh my yeah. gosh they both like immediately it- took other lovers and i guess that was fine or whatever fine. but because they're catholic they can't get divorced Oh my gosh! And they didn't have any children. You guys so. say this stuff offhand. <laughs> you say it like it's just like common knowledge. Like everybody knows, Hayden hated his wife. She hated him. They Kyle, were sleeping with other people. It's on the internet. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but it's not like in the program notes. That's true. <laughs> like I, right. I feel like this stuff needs to be in the program notes. Like bullet points under the bio for Hayden. Right. When he for when he Hayden. composed this piece, it was when he took his third mistress right. uh, 20 years into his marriage. I don't know. I just feel like it's interesting. Some intrigue. Mm. Um, she... So odd, though. Yeah. I, I have no idea why. Maybe like... The only, maybe, maybe like the struggle was real. He was hustling to get a job. He finally got settled. The only other woman he knew <laughs> was this <laughs> woman that he loved sisters. Who was like, what do you think? Yeah, but it's just like I don't know. weird. I got nothing. You, like, it is in weird. Any of the yes. possible explanations you would have would be like, okay, like he got somebody pregnant. And then they needed to get married. Clearly, that didn't Not happen. His wife. Or like, nope. <laughs> he really wanted to start having kids, so he got married. They didn't have kids. Like, maybe it's like a status thing. Like, maybe it's like, oh, well, if you're married in society, you're like more of a cool person at that time. Maybe, maybe they were both of the age where you know, like, getting Ooh, like, married. Like, didn't want to become an old maid. Do. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I got Super nothing. Super strange. I mean, he. He did wait until he had a good job to marry her, which is weird since they didn't really like each other. Right. Um, but and he definitely. I, I kind of think it's like he he definitely was in love with her sister, gotcha. and so gotcha. um, I think it was kind of like a, you know, almost like imposing upon this poor woman like the ideal of the sister that he was in love with because. Oh, she, she was in a nunnery and he couldn't have her. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Crazy. I was going to say, until you like reiterated that he was in love with his sister, I was like, maybe he was gay. And he just like needed a wife, he felt, for like the time he was living in. But it sounds like he had other female lovers, so. Yeah. He did, yeah. 
Gotcha. <laughs> Rob's like, yes. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. We're filling in the picture all all the time here. This is like, I feel like yep. I'm getting more on Haydn than I would ever, ever get. Definitely from a textbook. Definitely from program notes. Thank you for bringing this into my life. So he's got a stable job. He's married. He's doing okay. Then what happens? Other than hating his wife but yes what happened yes well he's like working away at the esterhazy court the esterhazy's build um esterhazy palace out in eisenstadt schloss esterhazy Esterhazy, which is kind of um rural to get there Mm. (laughs) um, but they have this idea that they want to like build like their own version of versailles in a way so that was kind of like their their goal and so there's a ton of stuff that happens at esterhazy palace like entertainment and music because again they're trying to make it like a hub of culture right and so they end up having like this whole period of time where haydn is like turning out a lot of music for entertainment purposes and one of the things that he starts writing for that is operas Um, And he has to write like a certain number of operas every year, which is kind of crazy if you think about it today, because he did write quite a few operas, but like you never see Haydn operas performed ever, ever, ever. Like do the manuscripts exist? So um, there was actually a fire at Esterhazy Palace that destroyed a bunch of the manuscripts. So not a lot of the manuscripts from the kind of early part of this kind of turning out operas period exist, but there are some that still do exist that we just never, never see <laughs> or hear of. Um, the fire was not like they didn't, it didn't destroy everything Haydn wrote. It was just like a, a bunch of stuff uh, from that period of time. I just picture this scenario so, where somebody's like, oh, so they're like, oh, I can't believe if only those works didn't go up in flames, like we could perform them today. And then somebody walks in, they're like, oh, we've got these operas. And then the same person's like, mm, yeah, never mind. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Don't I mean, need them. He worked for the Estahazis for like 30 odd years. And wrote yeah. so much music for them. Like Prince Nicholas, what was that? He like learned how to play the baritone, which is sort of like a like a vial again yes. it's like this really weird instrument and so there exists apparently like over 126 different baritone trios that Haydn wrote so Prince Nicholas could play his could instrument play them. nice and like this instrument is so non-standard today it's like I had to google it I had between never like seen a, it before it's like halfway between a cello and a viola yeah it's like a boxy of, you... lute with like an extra yeah. string and I I guess Weird. play it with a bow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's super strange. But how nice to be able to be like, so I'm taking up a new instrument. Right. And I have this I'm hobby. wondering if you could just compose a bunch of music for that. It's like when you hear about opera composers composing with a specific singer in mind, and everybody's like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be nice if somebody composed an opera for yeah. your specific voice? And then yeah. you have this happen. I wonder if you... I guess when, when you're a, an aristocratic noble yeah. in the 1700s, you can do that, right? I wonder if Haydn made them, like, super easy. So it's like, Maybe. yeah, 
I don't know if you're that good, so I'm going to make it pretty easy, and then we'll just see. I have, like, no working knowledge of how to play the baritone, so <laughs> I don't baritone? know how to, cool. how to assess the difficulty level. <laughs> so what else happened? What He's doing his Esterhazy thing, composing a bunch of music, some right. opera, although some of that got lost and also isn't getting performed right now. Is it recorded at all, the opera? Like any of his opera music? Yeah, yeah there's, like, some. All right. Yeah. <laughs> nothing that anybody's super excited about. No. But, but I mean, I would say he wrote a lot more like symphonies and string quartets and instrumental music than he did necessarily vocal music. Yeah. Okay. Um and Definitely. he's really known for his symphonies and string quartets. Like that is kind of his he's called the father of the symphony and the father of the string quartet. Right. That's right. Right. because yeah, gotcha. he he basically like establishes the four movement structure for a symphony. Um, he is very inventive with his orchestration, and he he yeah he just like brings the symphony into kind of like a genre of its own because of how prolific he is. And his string quartets are like extremely well respected and well known, and became very popular. So and. In addition to being like a genius in how he composed these things, um, he also did have a sense of humor. <laughs> so mm -hmm. he, there's a couple works where like the the works themselves contain like musical humor in the work, right? And so um, I guess his prankster jokester personality of his younger years still came out sometimes um, in his more mature years. I do like that. On the note mm -hmm. of, of Papa Haydn and the nickname, do I remember you guys telling me a couple of weeks ago that this was something like that was used in his lifetime? Or was that as like after his lifetime, people are like Papa Haydn? I actually don't know. Oh, okay. I'm not 100% sure, but when I was reading about it, I got the impression that in his older years, he was known as this like incredibly wonderful, generous, honorable, brilliant older man who was like a mentor to students and looked up to by everybody who knew him. So I assumed that it was something that he, a name he accrued in his lifetime, but I'm not sure. The idea of him being like father of the symphony and father of the string quartet, that's certainly something we've applied later, mm. like well after he died. But I'm not sure about Papa Haydn. <laughs> yeah. It's just fun to say. Interesting. So um, which yeah. are the... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Elsa. Oh, no. No, ask your question. I was going to go on and talk about something else. So which are the, like, number one... Like, which is the number one symphony, number one string quartet? Or if there's a couple that are just, like, these are the ones that get performed over and over and over again. I mean, I think his creation mask gets done a lot isn't it, or is that a mass or an oratorio? an oratorio sorry right um yes the creation gets done a lot okay it's probably the big it's probably the most popular like big work mm -hmm. for voice and instruments that he wrote um the musical joke is the string quartet that gets done a lot mm -hmm. um and then I think the surprise symphony is Symphony 92. Oh, my God. I think. <laughs> 92, because 91 wasn't right. enough. 
Yeah, and Symphony 9... Oh, sorry. No, I was wrong. Symphony 94, second oh, movement. There it is. Yeah. Wow. That's great. I'm yeah. not going to lie. When I see something on a program, with the exception of like the really, really big ones, when I see like a, you know, classical era composer symphony number blank, you're just like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, they all start to run together as far as naming them. But the sure. best ones accrue nicknames, right? True. True. So, you know, like like the surprise symphony or like with Mozart, his Jupiter symphony, right? right? Yeah. So there's a couple of, of Haydn's that gain nicknames of various kinds. Yeah. So what else do we yeah. have on Papa Haydn? Um, well, we talked Let's about say- how he uh, negotiated his contract, which sort of opened up to like this worldwide fame because he was selling his music left, right, and center. Um, mm-hmm. And then when Prince Nicholas died, his son took over, and his son was super into like economizing. So he really <laughs> cut down <laughs> Haydn's salary, and Haydn's like, cool. I'm going to go to London because they like me a lot in London. And like in 1782, when Bach died, Haydn oh. became like the de facto like m- music of London. People like were mm-hmm. fucking obsessed with Haydn. So Haydn's like, I'm going to go to London a couple of times. So he journeys yeah. back from London. Everything's great. We have record of letters um, between him and like, a woman that he started a relationship with, which is not very scandalous, but he was. He did have a, a London lady on the side who seemed nice. Nice. I don't know. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the and London that's, you know, lady on the side. Pretty much it. Like Naomi said, he got very wealthy, super famous, was really generous in his later years uh, with um, what up and coming composers. What? Yes. What about the legacy part of it? Like you said, he knew Mozart. What's the deal with that? Oh they well, I mean, he and they, Mozart, they played together they were in friends. like salons and things like that. What? Like Mozart? Yeah, Mozart like wrote certain compositions like dedicated to Haydn or like even based on Haydn's like musical ideas or themes. Um, apparently, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that Haydn. Um, is in that painting of the Masonic Lodge that Mozart's yeah. in as well. Oh. Um, so there is, like, people suspect that Haydn was also a Freemason, mm. and um, so they would have been brothers mm-hmm. in the Masonic he Order. He did teach yeah. Beethoven for a little while. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's cool. I wonder why, well, for one, I'm thinking if he was buds with Mozart... And Mozart's life got a little bit tricky there for a good while, like all the way up to the end of it. Like, why didn't he help a brother out? Is one question. No answer. I, I mean, there probably isn't an answer. He's just like living his own life, and Mozart's well, when doing Mozart, his own thing. When Mozart die? Uh, like seventeen ninety one. Yeah, right? something like that. Seventeen nineties, definitely. I mean, he was in London. 1791. He was in London, I think, when Mozart died. Okay. But I I don't know if they're like best friends. I don't know. But then also, other question, why then, like everybody knows Mozart. I'm talking about like in, you know, most of the world, even if you're not into classical music. Like, you know Mozart, you know Beethoven. 
why don't as many people know Haydn? I mean, I think part of it is probably because of just how like popular culture develops around certain composers. Like Mm -hmm. a big reason why Mozart is so popular is because like immediately after his death, his wife really needed to make money. And so she starts like selling his works and trying to basically like push him as this like genius that was lost too soon kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And actually like Mozart's wife, Constanza, her second husband is like slightly obsessed with Mozart and like ends up writing a biography on him and things like that. And so you have people like pushing his legacy right after he dies. Mm -hmm. Right. And that helps get him into people's like consciousness. Right. And so, and it's all kind of like the historical circumstances around when somebody dies and then like who is, who is recognizing their contribution to musical culture at that moment. Yeah. Right. And I feel like Haydn, because he spent like all these years sequestered at Esterhazy, right. Even though he was very popular later in life and he was super prolific, I feel like he didn't have the same kind of like cachet that Mozart had, um, And he also wasn't a freelancer for, like, the majority of his career. It was more toward the end of his career, right? Yeah. So, and freelancing, like, in order to be successful as a freelancer, you need to be known, right, and popular. So there's a lot of reasons. I think sometimes people think his work is, like, too stiff or too too classical, right? Like, the Romantic era comes on and everyone's being, like, emotive and expressive, right? And... In light of that, Haydn's work can be seen as a little stiff, but he's really creative and really inventive. Mm-hmm. And well, so, I'm sure in in ways also he kind of laid a foundation for exactly. the classical era, and then these other composers were able to build on that and achieve, you know, something even further along in the development of musical trends. Because he's mm-hmm. like the first big classical era composer right following up the baroque or maybe like the most prominent of the early part of the sorry i mean he's he and mozart basically like define the classical era Mm -hmm. of music and then he dies um and what year did he die again? 1803? 1809. 1809. 1809. Yeah. So he's like, he's living into, into the beginning of the Romantic period, right? So he lives past Mozart. Mm-hmm. Um, he's living into the time when people like Beethoven are like becoming more popular, mm-hmm. right? And so he, his lifetime sort of bridges both the classical and romantic period, but he himself is not considered a romantic composer, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's all very interesting. I I find his music to be very pleasant. Like, Yeah, it is very pleasant. It's nice. You don't really hear a Haydn piece and think like, oh, that's not good. It's all nice. (laughs) (laughs) I guess people wouldn't be performing it now if it wasn't good. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Well, should we well, play sure. out to to something that he wrote, Dealer's Choice? So one of the works that he's well known for is the Emperor's Hymn. And this is something that 
apparently when when Haydn was in the last years of his life, um, he took a lot of solace in listening to this particular piece of music and he would actually like sit at the piano and play it for himself so we should listen to that all right that sounds nice well thank you both for giving us some great knowledge on franz joseph Haydn, papa Haydn, if you will well, papa Haydn. i definitely enjoyed it hopefully you our audience members enjoyed it as well if you did let us know about it uh go ahead and leave a review wherever you're listening to the podcast We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, and if you really, really liked it and you want to support the podcast and more episodes like this one, you can find us at patreon.com slash opera after dark. We'd love to have your support there. And thanks to all of you who have already given us uh, support through reviews on Patreon, buying merch, all of those things. Uh, we're really thankful for that. And we'll be back with you next week with yet another episode of Opera After Dark. But until then, I'm Kyle. I'm Naomi. And I'm Elspeth. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.